Well, while the lead up to Easter for all of us is very purposeful, the weeks following Easter can leave us a bit adrift. I believe our church fathers and mothers understood the sense of emptiness that might come after such a grand celebration. So when they established the church calendar, they continued Easter for 50 days until Pentecost Sunday. This 50-day celebration is called Eastertide, and it is a time for the church to continue to celebrate the risen Lord and reflect on Him and the renewal that He's bringing to our world. So in keeping with Easter celebration, I wanted us to spend the next weeks and months focusing on Jesus Christ. And to help us do this, I've chosen a letter that I've never preached on here at Hope Chapel, the letter to Hebrews. And you might be wondering, why Hebrews? And the answer is simple, because Hebrews consist of one of the most comprehensive Christologies of any of the New Testament books. Now, as a way of background and to help us understand this ancient text, it's important to note that Hebrews was written sometime between 60 A.D. and 95 A.D. The author is unknown to us, but most commentators agree he most likely had a previous relationship with his audience. And he had a position of authority which allowed him to speak so directly to these Jewish Christians. They were second generation Christians, having been baptized and fully instructed, according to Hebrews 6. And they had been believers long enough to rise to the level of teachers in the church. But as we We'll see as we study this letter, many of them were struggling with their faith. And as we see in Hebrews 10, many of them had grown lax in attendance at their assemblies. And their commitment to one another and to Christ was waning. There are many reasons for such problems. There was a pull in the church to move back to Judaism. Some were discouraged over the delay of Christ's return, while others were feeling just external cultural pressures and being persecuted for their faith. The reality is the audience to this ancient letter is a faith community in crisis. And according to one commentator, at least in the author's view, the crisis that was going on amongst the Jewish Christians can be best met, not with improved structures or social strategies, but with a more complete Christology. In essence, the writer of Hebrews believed, as we believe today, that no matter what the crisis the church faces, the greatest strategy to address the problem is a fuller understanding and experience of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's my hope as we walk through this incredibly beautiful and very complex letter that we too will grow in our understanding and experience of our risen Lord. And so this morning, as we begin our journey through Hebrews, looking at chapters 1 
verses 1 through 14, I want us to consider three things this morning. The first is a healthy Christology must always begin with God. Secondly, Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. And thirdly, Jesus is superior to the angels. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful this morning for this letter that was written so long ago to a church that was really struggling. Individuals in that church were feeling persecuted, were waning in their faith, were wondering why you haven't come back. And the author writes this letter to spur them on, to encourage them, to help them understand you, Jesus, more fully and to experience your love and your grace. And so as we walk through this book over these next weeks and months, Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you to come and illuminate your word. We need you to take this text and like a knife, use it to strategically perform surgery on our hearts to cut out sin and to make us more into your likeness. So Holy Spirit, have your way with us and give us ears to hear this morning. And we pray this in the powerful name of Christ. Amen. Well, I want to encourage you to open your bulletins or you can look at your Bible or you can look on your phone at the, the text. And the first thing that I want us to consider as we look at our text this morning is that this provides a healthy Christology, a healthy understanding of Christ must always begin with God. Now, the temptation for many of us in the church today is to focus solely on the New Testament and to get people attached to Jesus without knowledge or faith in God. But the writer of Hebrews understood that to understand Jesus, we must always first start with God. So he begins in verses 1 and 2 looking at God's relationship to Jesus. He writes, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also he created the world. The writer takes us back to the beginning where there was God, the father who speaks to his people. And how did God speak to his people? The author tells us that he first spoke by the prophets and it's safe to assume by the prophets, he's including Abraham, Moses, King David, along with Samuel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the other minor prophets. But then the author says, in the last days, God has chosen to speak to us by his son. The author's establishing that God is the father and Jesus is the son. And God has chosen to speak through his son. And this son, Jesus Christ, is an heir, an heir to all things. Now, this doesn't mean just that he's inheriting all things. What the author is saying is that God, the father, 
has existed from all time. And likewise, God has had a relationship, God the Father, with the Son for all times. Jesus is pre-existent along with his Father. And God the Father created the world through the agency of his Son. And so for us to develop a healthy Christology, the author says we must always begin with God and his unique relationship to Jesus, his son, his heir, the one through whom he has chosen to speak to the world today. We cannot understand who Christ is apart from his relationship with God. And so one question that we might want to ponder this morning is do we get people attached to Christ without any knowledge or faith in God the Father? And how much of our relationship with Christ is rooted in our own faith and relationship with the Father? The author of Hebrews begins his letter warning we can't know and worship one to the exclusion of the other. And as we move through this letter and learn more of Christ, we must always keep coming back to the truth that it begins with God the Father. And so the first thing from our text this morning is that a healthy Christology must always begin with God. And then secondly, we see that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. Look at verse 3. We see a shift from verses 1 and 2 from focusing on God's relationship to Jesus now to focusing on Jesus's relationship to God. In verse 3, the writer tells us that Jesus Christ is the exact imprint of God's nature. Now, the Greek word here for imprint is character as in a character of the alphabet. And because they didn't have printing presses in the ancient Near East, they did have engravers who carved royal portraits and suitable words or abbreviations on a stamp or die made of hard metal. And the engraver used the stamp to make a coin so that that coin gave the exact impression or expression of what was on that stamp. So the writer is telling us that Jesus Christ is literally the exact image of God's nature. God's image is imprinted on Jesus. And that's why Jesus says in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip, I love this, says to him, Lord, show us the father. And it's enough for us. And Jesus, with much grace, says to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. Jesus fully encompasses God's nature, holding all three godly offices, 
prophet, priest, and king. The author says that Jesus upholds the universe with the word of his power. Jesus speaks the word of God. Jesus is the great prophet. And Jesus holds the office of priest and king. The writer quoting from Psalm 110 says that in his humiliation, Jesus serves as a priest, making purification for our sins. And then in in his exaltation, the son priest is also a king, enthroned, sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high. These three offices are themes that the writer is going to continue to extrapolate on as we walk through the book of Hebrews. But for now, he simply adds his voice to the course of saints, confessing that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. When we see Jesus, we see God. When we talk about Jesus and his nature, the essence, we are talking about God. The two, like we stated earlier, are one, forever interrelated and forever interconnected. Jesus speaks God's words. He intercedes as a priest and he is now seated at the right hand of God, taking on his kingly office. And when we, like Philip, wonder in the dark of the night and ask, is there a God? And if so, who is he? What is he like? We don't have to look any further than Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. He spoke, he healed, he suffered, and he died. And the writer of Hebrews says, though he has not come back yet, do not lose faith. He is reigning on high and he will come again to make all things new. This is the good news of our text this morning. We humans can know God and be in relationship with him because of God's son. And let me also say, if you have a friend or a family member who is struggling with understanding who God is, I hope our text this morning will serve as a guidepost directing all of our conversations to Jesus. If they really want to know the Father, Jesus says, look at me, listen to me. I and and the Father are one. And so the first thing we see in our text this morning is that a healthy Christology must always begin with God. Secondly, we see that Jesus is the exact imprint of God. And then third and lastly, we see that Jesus is superior to angels. Look at verse four. The author, he transitions his audience to the truth that Jesus is superior to angels. And then in verses 5 through 13, the author provides a defense, an argument, basically proving that Jesus is superior. And as you look at this section, you'll see that it begins and it ends with the same question. To which of the angels did God ever say? This is an inclusio. And everything in between is literally the points that the author wants to make to prove that Jesus is superior to the angels. In verse 
6, he quotes from Deuteronomy 32, 43, which says that the angels are not to be worshipped themselves, but they are to worship the Son. And then as we read on in verse 7, the writer quotes from Psalm 104, verse 4, telling us that the angels are transient and temporary, like wind and fire. Whereas, if you read on in verse 8 and 9, we read that Christ is permanent. Quoting from Psalm 45, the author says that Jesus' throne is forever and ever. And then in verses 10 through 12, the writer quotes from Psalm 102, reiterating that Christ was there when God laid the foundations of the earth. And he played a part in creation. Jesus is the creator and the angels are creatures. And then in verse 13, he closes the section asking the same question. To which of the angels has God ever said? But this time, instead of referencing, referencing Christ as his son, the writer quotes from Psalm 110 saying, To which of the angels has God ever said, sit at my right hand? The writer in his letter to the Hebrews provides a solid defense that Jesus is superior to angels. Christ is God's son to be worshipped and praised. Christ is permanent while angels are transient and temporary. Christ is creator, whereas angels are creatures. And Christ is king. And angels are to bow down and to worship and to serve him. Now, as we've kind of gone through all of this, the question that you probably are asking is, why in the world is the author spending so much time convincing his audience that Christ is superior to angels. Shouldn't they know this? Why is he spending so many verses proving it? Now, there's many different theories that have been put forth by theologians and commentators throughout the year. But what we do know, looking at what we've, at the text, we know that the author addresses angels which tells us that the church had placed a great deal of emphasis on angels. And we also know, looking at the text, that he was reminding the church that Christ is superior to angels. And therefore, he is the one to be worshipped. So the answer to why, I believe, is is that basically... The church had grown bored with what should have been the center of their worship, Jesus. And instead, they had begun to worship angels and to elevate angels. And as we look at even our own church, it's tempting for us to add things on the edges, such as angels, the second coming of Christ, gifts, and certain roles in the body, And we move those things that are on the edges to the center. Our text this morning serves as a warning to us to keep our eyes on Jesus, to worship him, and to not make too much of good things that are on the periphery. And so one question for us to wrestle with this morning, what good things that should be on the edges 
are we placing on the center stage? Are there certain subjects or causes that in and of themselves are important to discuss, but we're moving them to the center of the stage? We're literally making them superior to Jesus Christ. Are there certain giftings and talents that we've given too much importance to or emphasis on? The author of Hebrews reminds us that Christ is not only superior to angels. He is also warning us that we always need to keep our focus on Jesus Christ. Because we will be tempted to move him from the center and to add good things and make them the center of our lives. So in this text this morning, we see that a healthy Christology must always begin with God. In our text this morning, we see that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. And this morning, we see that Jesus is superior to angels and that God is jealous for us to worship none other, nothing else but Jesus Christ. And that is why in this letter, he will go on week after week. And what we'll come back to week after week is a deeper understanding of who Jesus is and what he has come to do. My hope as we continue to celebrate Easter is that we will all fall deeper in love with him. That we will grow in our understanding of who Jesus is. And that if there's anything else in our lives that is at the center, that's on our throne, the throne that only Jesus should sit in, the author of Hebrews is to get that thing, even if it's a good thing, out of that throne and to have Jesus sit there and take his rightly place as priest and prophet and king. And so I think it's fitting this morning for us that we get the opportunity to focus and continue to celebrate Jesus Christ. But before we do, before we come to this table This table that's really only open to those who have professed faith in Christ. And if you're here this morning and you haven't professed faith in Christ, then we just ask that you don't partake. Because it's a serious thing when we come to this table. And Scripture also tells us as we come, we need to look at our own hearts. And so I just want us to take a moment in silence. And if there is anything at the center of your heart other than Jesus this morning. Now is the time to confess it to a God who offers forgiveness, a high priest and a a king that is seated at the right hand of God who's interceding on behalf of us this morning and to a God who loves you and offers grace to you. So take a moment to ponder the words that we just read in the book of Hebrews.